0: a seminary professor presented the class with this hypothetical scenario to see how future priests would handle a difficult situation. Imagine, he said, that there's a huge uproar in the media over the most recent papal document, and the bishop is going to offer a press conference, and everybody's gathered in the room, and you are there, when it it is suddenly announced that the bishop cannot make it. And so journalists are desperately trying to find someone that will answer their questions. What would you do in that situation? And after a long pause, one of the seminarians said, I would take off my collar and mingle with the crowd. (laughs) You know, it's so tempting to us as Catholics today to do exactly that in many situations, to uh, just mingle with everybody else and not wear the, the name tag or the label of Catholic because so many people have this negative perception of the church and Christianity. Notice by way of contrast, how positive is the view that Jesus has of his church. He says, you are the salt of the earth and the world needs your flavor. You are the light of the world. Cannot hide that because they need that testimony that you bring. What could it mean that we may lose that flavor? Why is Jesus saying that in the first place? Why, how could you, how could I lose the, the, that taste of salt in our faith? I think that a, a very common way in which this happens is when we fulfill our duties in a very formal way, like going through the motions, but without real joy, without real love, sort of in the way of the older son in the parable of the prodigal son. And and this may sound like a very sad condition, and yet, strangely enough, some very influential philosophers consider this condition as the greatest ethical state that you could achieve. Kant, for example, the German philosopher, says that if you do the right thing, because you enjoy it, then it's not really ethical. It's sort of selfish. To act ethically means to do things precisely because it is your duty. It is what must be done, period. If I enjoy doing the right thing, then it's somewhat fishy. You know, it may not be a pure motive good behavior for someone like Kant implies always going against the grain. Well, Kant's system may be, you know, impressive in its logic, but it doesn't really hold water. Because, you know, in a practical sense, it's not possible to live that way. Just doing your duty without any positive passion, any joy, any liking it. That philosophical version of Kant's ethics has a sort of spiritual correlate in Puritanical Christianity, which is so different from the Catholic way. You know, If you want to see a great depiction of how these two can be compared, just watch the old uh, Danish film, Babette's Feast. It's the, the story of two sisters that lead a Purit, uh, Puritan congreg- congregation in Denmark. And they lead a very austere rigorous life, doing works of mercy. They never married just to keep the congregation, the small community going. And one day their French maid, Babette, receives a huge amount of money. And she tells the sisters, I got all this amount of money, and I would like to offer you, I would like to cook for you a French dinner in thanksgiving, for all you've done for me. You received me in your home. You, you really rescued me out of a difficult situation. And so the sister, sisters accept, but soon they regret it because they, they start to see all these exotic ingredients come into the village, and they sense, well, this is a trap of the devil that's going to corrupt our simple way of life. But then they, they talk to the community, and they decide to keep going. Everybody will come to the dinner but they, they plot that they won't say anything. They won't say a word of praise about the dinner, as if they didn't, couldn't taste the food. Well, the day of the dinner finally arrives, and it so happens that there's also an old acquaintance of the family, a Swedish general, a man, of, a man of the world who's traveled to many places. He happens to be in town, so he's, he's also invited to the dinner. And the dinner is, you know the greatest banquet you could ever imagine, the best quality, you know, appetizers and entrees and wines and all, you know, the best quality of everything. And it's, I, I think one of the funniest things in the movie is to see this, the general is completely awestruck. He says, but this is the best French wine ever, or this, this dish, that I, tra- I try this in the best restaurant in Paris. And all the other, you know, uh, the other guests simply say, mm-hmm, Like, it's the most ordinary meal for them. And at the end of the the dinner, the general remarks that this meal reminded him of a famous female chef in Paris. A chef, he said, who had the gift of transforming a meal into a sort of love affair. And as you may guess, that famous French chef was no one else than Babette. Well, the movie is, is charged with symbols, it really is a contrast between the Puritanical way and the Catholic, sacramental way. You know, the Puritanical sees self-denial as the highest virtue. Deny yourself. And whatever delights the senses is suspicious. The Catholic way, instead, places self-giving love in the highest position. And whatever delights the senses can be an instrument for conveying that love. And self denial is not abandoned completely, but it is subservient to love. There's a lot of self denial in, in Babette. For example, she, during the entire meal, she doesn't come out of the kitchen. She doesn't just join the guests to enjoy it. Um, she doesn't come out to receive the accolades. And also, most significantly, she spent the entire amount in the meal. All that she received as sort of an inheritance she just completely spent. Well, many commentators have observed that Babette is really an image of God who gives himself completely and has prepared for us this amazing banquet in creation and also in the Eucharistic table. But God himself remains behind the veil of the visible stays in the kitchen, if you want. And only those who are perceptive, like the general, can discover that rich sacramental language of God's love and discover the artist behind his creations. Okay, bring it back home to... When Christian life is is reduced to pure duty in a Kantian style or in a puritanical style, and, and we lose the flavor of doing the right thing, there's a spiritual danger in that. We may slide into the state of, of tedium and boredom, numbness, lack of joy. Many people feel that way, feel they feel numb. And they go through their duties and relationships like a robot. And it may seem that as if that was not so dangerous, but it is very dangerous. Because this void needs to be filled with something. We cannot remain in that sort of numbness for a long time. And so many people, to escape that numbness, they use different things. They may use substances. They may use relationships. They may harm themselves. They may watch aggressive stuff. They may try extreme experiences just to feel something, just to feel alive. And I also think that the world many times rejects Christianity because they misread it as puritanical. You know, as if it was a choice between these two extremes. Either enjoy life or deny yourself. There's no other way. And I think God wants to open a third way. He wants to open this way of babette, if you want. The way of the style of Jesus. That is a path of love that is full of flavor. That is, you know, joyful, rich. Like a great banquet. And he wants to ask his disciples to embody that same principle, to be salt of the earth, light of the world, to join duty to enjoyment and light. Well, as a practical takeaway, maybe something we can do is, first of all, focus in all the positive aspects of Catholicism. See your own spiritual journey as doing good, as using your talents and growing them to Pursue what is good, to improve, to better this world. You know, our journey as Catholics doesn't end when we avoid temptation and we overcome some sin. That's only the beginning. That's, you know, there's a whole adventure that lies ahead of that in doing good for others, in unfolding all the, our potential. But maybe the main takeaway that I, I recommend is the second one, and that's think of good, creative ways of bringing flavor to your life? What are those, you know, maybe good ways of investing your energy and skills? People who work in recovery groups say that this is a key step when you want to take away bad habits, when you want to overcome an addiction. They say that one of the main problems of an addict is that when they start quitting, they face this different, difficult question. What do I do with all this free time now? all the time I was spending gambling or drinking, going places, what do I do with it? It's like they forgot how to use it in a positive way. They need to relearn good habits, hobbies, wholesome ways of having fun, of relating, connecting with other people. And I think that applies not just to addiction. It applies to many other sins as well. So, you know, what, what can you, we do? In a creative way to use our time, our energy, especially I think in in free time, you know, when it's time of the downtimes, when I'm tired, how do I use it productively as good ways of having fun, connecting with others, praying, reading, enjoying music, whatever that may be? May we pray. Lord Jesus, Your life is a great example for us of how true love and faithfulness can be united to freedom and enjoyment and light. Lord Jesus, your holiness is inspiring, and that's why we're drawn to you. So help us, Lord, to find profound joy in you instead of going to things that are shallow and could never really fill us. Lord, give us the grace of being salt of the earth, being light of the world, of unfolding all the potential you've given us, finding creative ways to help others to see what the things that are beautiful in this life. In your holy name, Lord Jesus, we pray.